thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. We are a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, please visit www.vcnola.com. Here is this week's message. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. Wanted to share with you a report that I read a few weeks ago in May of 2023, not long ago, less than a year ago, the U.S. Surgeon General released an advisory entitled Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. In the advisory, the Surgeon General cites studies that show that approximately 50% of Americans experience loneliness. Just look around the room. What that means is half of us in this room experience loneliness. They describe loneliness as a subjective, distressing experience that results from perceived isolation or inadequate, meaningful connections. The advisory goes on to report that loneliness and social isolation increase the risk for premature death by 26% and 29% respectively. And that poor or insufficient social connection is associated with increased risk of disease, including a 29% increased risk of heart disease and a 32% increased risk of stroke. Furthermore, they say, it's associated with increased risks for anxiety, depression, and dementia. Those are alarming, are they not? When we tend to think about things like heart disease or stroke or uh, illnesses, we don't tend to think of things like loneliness being a part of those things. But what these kind of studies show us is how absolutely essential community, connection, and people are to us. We are going to read today from Genesis chapter 2 about how we were created for loving relationships. But I think studies like these help us see how Scripture is not only teaching truth, but how science backs that up to say, yeah, this is something that the Bible has been talking about all along, and let me just show you how these things are true. That there is a problem in our world and in our society of loneliness. What I want you to get today, this is the big idea that I think Genesis 2 teaches us as image bearers of the Creator. We flourish in loving relationships that cultivate complementary companionship and collaboration. Those two words are key, companionship and collaboration. What we're going to look at today in Genesis 2.18 is just that. In just one verse, what God shows us, what he sets up for us as essential to our flourishing as human beings. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we kicked off flourishing people by saying what we are going to do is we are going to focus our attention in on just chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. Because what Genesis 1 and 2 gives us is a foundation 
for what God's desire is for us, how he has created us. And what we've been talking about is how God's desire, God's intention, God's plan for us all along from the very beginning was to do what? Flourish. To be able to flourish. If you've missed any of that, let me encourage you to go to our website. You can scan the QR code. You can find the previous sermons. You can find sermon resources. You can find all of our group studies there. Everything there for you to follow along. So let's look at Genesis 2, just one verse, verse 18 this morning. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The very beginning in Genesis 2, in this verse, what we see is this. Number one, we were created for complementary companionship. This is the kind of stuff that God created us for. Look at verse 18 again. I want to highlight just two statements in this verse. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be what? Alone. So then he says, I will make him a what? A helper who is fit for him. In one verse, what we see is that isolation is not God's intention for creation. In the very beginning, after God has created all of this kind of stuff and everything in creation, what he shows us right off the bat is that we weren't created for isolation. This is the first time in the creation account that something is not what? Does anybody know? Good. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that every day in creation, God creates and he calls it what? Good. He gets to the very end on day six when everything's created and it's what? It's very good. This is the first time in the creation account when God looks at his creation and he says, it's not what? Good. Genesis 2, verses 19 through 20, we see something interesting. God has set up, he's created Adam and he set up creation and he puts Adam in the garden. And listen to what it says. It says, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every birds of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So God is parading all of creation, all of the animals before Adam, that Adam would give them names. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. So Adam sees all of the animals. He names all the animals. And what's his conclusion? Look at what it says at the end of 20. But for Adam, there was not found a what? A helper. There was not found a helper fit for him. Adam's like, God, look, these animals are incredible. I mean, I've never seen anything like this before, right? I mean, Adam's kind of brand new to this thing. There's not much that he has seen, right? But he's amazed at what he sees in creation. But he sees cats, and he sees dogs, and he sees elephants, and he sees ants, and he sees all of these sorts of things. And one of the things that he recognizes is that as great as all of these things are, they're not like him. There's something missing. It's not quite what it was supposed to be. 
yet. I know that some of you treat your pets like family. I get that, right? They're your son or your daughter. I have a dog. Her name is Oreo. She almost died this week. I wanted to kill her. <laughs> I have this baby Satsuma tree in my backyard, right? And it's, it's like two years old. It's just beginning to grow. It Last year, it kind of snapped in half because the wind broke it because it's that fragile. And so this year, I was trying to protect it. I wanted to make sure the cold and the freezing temperatures didn't kill it. So I covered it with a sheet and I zip tied that sheet around the tree to make sure it doesn't fly off to protect the tree. And yesterday, the dog kept wanting to go out a lot. I'm like, this is, this is odd. And then the last time I let her out, I, I opened the door and I looked out my backyard and she had torn the sheet off the tree. Now remember, there was a zip tie around this tree, right? Protecting the sheet. And in the midst of tearing the sheet off the tree, she had broken two of its baby tender branches. And this tree's only like two years old, right? So I wasn't expecting it to produce fruit yet, but just last week we realized it had a little satsuma on it. And I'm like, this is incredible. It's starting to produce fruit. Guess what the dog ripped off the tree? It's first fruit. I wanted to kill that dog yesterday. Rachel, okay, that's my son. He doesn't want the dog to die. Rachel often says, you love Oreo. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I like the dog. I love you and I love my children, right? What, what Adam experiences in this account is like, look, the animals are great, but they're not like me. They're different from me. What we see in the very beginning of creation is that if isolation's not God's intention for creation, then companionship is God's intention for creation. Adam was missing a companion in the very beginning. Go back and look at what we looked at last week, Genesis 1 verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. How did he create them? Male and female right part of that being created in the image of God is that there are two genders there is male and there is female and what we see immediately in the creation account is that by these complementary genders being created God is creating humanity for companionship Tim Keller says it like this in his book on marriage he says being created in God's image means that we were designed for relationships. We saw that last week when we talked about being created in the image of God, meaning we are, con we are created to be connected with the Father. But in the same way, part of what the image of God means for us is that we were created for relationship, meaning we were created to be in relationship with one another because God is a relational being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you look at a passage like Genesis 2.18, and you're thinking to yourself, wait, Dustin, this is about marriage. This isn't about other relationships. But I, I think you're missing something if you say Genesis 2 is just about marriage. I think you have to move from broad to narrow. Is this passage about marriage? Yes. But I think more broadly, it is about humanity 
And this is about relationships. And so what Genesis 2.18 teaches us is that God created us to be in relationship with other people. And then what Genesis 2.18 teaches us is that probably one of the most significant relationships that two humans can have together is marriage. So we see from this passage the significance of what it means to be created for companionship. And there's something that happens here in Genesis 2.18 that I want to remind you of that, that speaks to this companionship. Eve is like Adam. He's, she's like Adam in that she's created in the image of God. Adam is created in the image of God. Eve is created in the image of God. Again, go back and look at verses 19 through 20. In verses 19 through 20, all of the animals are unlike Adam. And so Adam recognizes he needs someone like him. What we see from Genesis 2 is that Eve is Adam's counterpart. She is, if you want to say it like this, a fitting companion. Like, dogs are great. Animals are great. I know some of you, you're not cat people. I get that, right? Animals are great, but they're not a fitting companion. What Scripture teaches us is that we were created for a different kind of companionship. This is why Adam can say in Genesis 2.23, after Eve is created and he sees Eve, he can say, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So again, what we see is this companionship. Now, again, we're not just talking about marriage. Yes, I think you can gain a lot about marriage from this passage, but I think that there's also a lot to just be said about relationships. And I think one of the greatest places where companionship is lived out is simply in friendship. Which, just side note, if you're married, your spouse should be your what? Friend, right? Friendship is a good thing in marriage. But whether you're married or not, my prayer is that you have what? Friends. Listen to what Proverbs says about friendship and the significance of friendship. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. See, even in the book of Proverbs, a book about wisdom, it speaks to the importance of friendship and companionship. Affirming that you and I, that we were created for these kinds of things. That God created us for companionship. When we're thinking about and talking about flourishing, we have to understand that we cannot flourish in isolation. Because God did not create us for isolation. He created us for what? Companionship. Now, look, I know that some of you like to be alone. I get that, right? I am an introvert by nature. I refuel when I am by myself. But even if you are the most introverted of introverted people, that does not mean that you don't need people. You still need people. You still need companionship. 
We were created for it. And what I want to argue for and, and encourage you with is that I think if there is a place where friendship should be lived out intentionally, it's the church. We should be able to find friends in other places. We should find friends in our community. We should find friends in maybe family. We should find friends in our workplace. But if there is a place where friendship is thriving and where we would say we are flourishing in relationships, it should be in the church. And what makes that unique about the church is this reality, is that what God does in the church is he brings a bunch of people who are very different, who have different backgrounds, who have different desires, who have different responsibilities, who have differences all around, and he makes them one people. And so when the world looks at the church, it sees kind of like a hodgepodge of people. And it's like, I don't understand how those people could be friends. But what the gospel reminds us, what the scriptures teach us, is that it's the gospel, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that if there's anything we have in common in this room, it is that. And that's what helps build companionship for us. Again, I want you to be able to find friends in all of your spheres of life. But I pray that you also find friends here in the life of Vintage Church. So Genesis 2 teaches that our loving relationships should include complementary companionship. But number two, what I think it also teaches is that we were created for complementary collaboration. What do I mean by that? Go back to Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Alienation is not God's intention for creation. Isolation isn't God's intention. Alienation isn't God's intention. There's a lot going on in this word in Genesis 2.18, in the word helper. Helper implies that the latter's strength is inadequate by itself. So, when God looks at Adam and he says, Adam needs a helper fit for him, what it means is there's something missing. Another way to think about this idea of helper fit for him is that there is something lacking that needs filling. That's what's going on in this passage. I mean, we've all heard it, right? There's no I in what? Team, Team right? I looked this up this, this week because... I've been reading a lot about this, and I've been confused as to where this com comes from. But there's the, this African proverb. We don't really know if it's an African proverb or not. But they call it an African proverb. proverb. If you want to go fast, go, you might know, alone. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go farther, go together. That's a, that's a biblical idea. That if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far go together. The idea of Adam needing a helper fit for him implies that he couldn't do what God had called him to do alone. So if alienation is not God's intention for creation, then that means that collaboration is God's intention for creation. 
John Walton in his book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve, says it like this. God is stating that the task is too large for him to do it on his own. He needs an ally to help him in sacred space. And this is what we read just before the creation of Eve. So I want to take you back just a few verses in Genesis 2. Genesis 2.15. God creates Adam. And then it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Next week, Pastor Weaver is going to talk about one of the elements to flourishing, meaningful purpose. And we're going to talk about work and vocation and calling and all of those sorts of things. That's going to get at what God put Adam in the garden to do. To work it and to keep it. Or as Genesis talks about, to fulfill, subdue, and have dominion. But there's also this piece to this that the Lord God took the man and put, at, put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. He has meaningful purpose. But what we read from Genesis 2.18 is that the work that God called Adam to do, Adam could not do it alone. It's as John Walton said, he needs an ally to help him in that sacred space. What all of this means is that like part of the reason we need one another is because we're called to work together. I mean, just think about any sort of relationship that you're in. If you're married, you need to work together. It goes without saying that a husband and wife that are living like separate lives, that doesn't tend to work. Right, this happens all the time in my house where my kids will try to divide my wife and I. Well, mom said, well, dad said, right? Those things don't work because mom and dad have to be on the same page and the same team. If you have a job, there's a very good chance that you work on a team, or that you're part of a group, if you're doing your work and not collaborating with everybody else, then whatever the work is that you guys are called to do, it's not going to work. Think about a church. How does Paul describe a church in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? He talks about it being the body of Christ. And he uses this imagery of the body and the body parts. To say like, look, if the hand doesn't want to cooperate with the foot or the brain doesn't want to cooperate with the heart, is the body going to be able to operate and function and work properly? No. So this idea of collaboration, it's baked into every single relationship that we have. Which, just take a moment to think about. And think about this reality of how difficult it is for people to get along. There's a very good chance that as you're thinking about all the relationships that you have in your own life, you're coming to mind these relationships that don't appear to be all that loving. Right? You're like, great, Dustin, I get it. Part of flourishing is loving relationships. But what, if, what do I do with that person that I can't love? Or better yet, what, what am I supposed to do with that person who seemed to can't love me? And so when we think about those kinds of things, it's challenging 
But it reminds us of how important companionship and collaboration is. That we actually, in fact, do need these things, not just to like thrive and survive, but to flourish. We know that we were created for them. We know that loving relationships, when we are working together, that's where they are formed and that's where they grow. Now, I just shared the reality with you that if we're all being honest, every single one of us probably has a broken relationship with someone. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a friend, whether it's a child. Last week, we talked about being an estranged child of God. And the reality is, for you and I, we have these broken relationships. And as you're thinking about your own life, and you're thinking about, okay, for me, what does it mean for me to flourish when I have this broken relationship? What does it mean for this person that I care for and love to flourish, and yet they have this broken relationship? What does it look like? How can I flourish when I've tried to cultivate this relationship to work in my life for it to be a healthy relationship, a growing relationship, a loving relationship, and for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be happening? What do we do? We have to understand that on this side of eternity, things are not the way they're supposed to be. There is a reality that as we pursue flourishing, a lot of things that we are going to experience are going to be broken. We talked about this last week when we talked about order and non-order and disorder entering creation. In Genesis 3, when the serpent comes in and he deceives Adam and Eve, disorder enters creation, sin enters creation. And Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, they disobey God. And after disobeying God, they realize that they're naked, they're ashamed, they hide themselves, and then God, God begins to look for them. As if God doesn't know where they're at, right? And when God finds Adam and Eve, Adam says something that's so interesting in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.12, look at what he says. The man said... The woman, notice, it's like all of a sudden she doesn't have a name. Not Eve, the woman, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. I mean, do you see, it's almost funny what's happening in this story. Like, number one, she doesn't have a name, it's the woman. Number two, God, look, I didn't ask for this woman. You gave her to me. She's your problem. Right? I mean, I don't know. I'm reading between the lines a little bit here. But uh, creatively, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, you gave her to me. Oh, and by the way, I didn't pick the fruit off the tree. She picked the fruit off the tree, and she told me, hey, eat this, Adam. And then finally, he says, yeah, and yeah, God, I, I ate the fruit. I did that. And it's like right here at the very beginning of creation, we see relationships begin to disintegrate. Because in this instance, immediately what sin does is sin creates isolation and alienation. 
Adam and Eve, they isolate themselves from God. They hide from God. This is the first time in their relationship with God where they don't want God to see them. They alienate themselves from God, but then they begin to isolate and alienate themselves from one another. They can't even get on the same page about whose fault it is for disobeying God. Adam begins to blame shift. Whoa, 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 this isn't my problem. God, you gave her to me. God, she gave me the fruit. And immediately in these, this relationship, we begin to see how sin creates isolation and alienation, how a loving relationship can quickly be broken. Cornelius Planning says it like this. He says, divided love destroys lovers. It doesn't matter what relationship that you're in. When isolation and alienation enters a relationship, it begins to disintegrate that relationship. And as that happens, that loving relationship begins to break apart. And there's a part of you that was created to flourish, and in that moment, that broken relationship can't help you lead to your flourishing. And just like there's always an answer for our faith formation, there's always an answer for our flourishing, there's an answer here for loving relationships. In the New Testament, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2. Now I want to give you a little bit of context before we read it. Ephesians 2, he's talking about salvation. And in the midst of talking about salvation, he begins to talk about a relationship He's not just talking about any relationship. Paul's talking about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, which, by the way, was one of the most broken relationships that creation had experienced. But what I think is important to understand is I don't think he's just talking about Jew and Gentile. I think about what, what he's talking about relates to every single relationship in all of creation. Look at what he says. He says, for he himself, who's he? Does anybody know? It's Jesus. For he himself is our what? Everybody say it. Peace. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making what? Everybody say it. Peace. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, in the ancient world, in the first century, one of the issues plaguing the early church was how in the world two groups who are very different how were they going to not only get along, but be in the same family? In the early church, there was the Jewish Christians, and then there were the, the Gentile Christians. And they were different in every conceivable way, culturally. But what the church had begun to experience was the work of Jesus on the cross had begun to save not just Jew, but Gentile. And in the midst of that, actually bring them together. Where they not only coexisted, but they actually became one family. 
And in this church, something is going on where they're probably beginning to experience some of that relational tension. Some of those cultural differences are coming out where they're acting very Jewish or they're, very, they're acting very Gentilish. And Paul is reminding them to say, listen, Jesus is our peace. By the way, when you see that word peace, whether it's in the Old Testament or New Testament, what word should come to your mind? Shalom. And when you read or say the word shalom, what's the other word that should come to mind? Flourishing. Paul's saying, for he himself is our flourishing. He's made us one. Anything that has been dividing us, he's broken those divisions down. He's taken two different people and he's made peace between those people that we would be reconciled, yes, to God, but also to one another. Any sort of relationship that you have that isn't a loving relationship, that relationship that's broken, that relationship that seems like it can't be repaired. The answer to that relationship is Jesus. When Jesus makes you different and new and changes you, you become a different person. When, when Jesus could change that other person that you're in relationship to, they can become a different person. And that relationship that was broken, that was messed up, that doesn't seem to be right, guess what Jesus can do? He can heal that relationship. He can make that relationship right. That's, that's the kind of promise that we have. That's what the gospel does. See, the gospel not only transforms you and I. It not only makes us new. It's not only our way to heaven. It's not only how we are reconciled to God. But the gospel should change us so much that it changes every single relationship that it touches. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus not only changes people, but it changes relationships. Because when you are changed, when you are made new, when you turn away from your sin, when you repent and then in faith turn to trust Jesus on the cross that his death and resurrection can save you, and then you confess that salvation through baptism, you are changed. And then that other person can be changed. And when you have two changed people, it changes the relationship. That's the promise that Jesus offers. Like we've done the last couple of weeks, what I want to do is I just want to give you some questions to think about this week as we reflect on this. Because the only way that you and I can grow, the only way that we can begin to think about where are we flourishing, where are we not flourishing, is to really take stock of where we're at. And then based on where we're at, take next steps to grow. So here are some questions for this week as we think about loving relationships. Number one, are you lonely? It's just a very simple question. If you're lonely, then chances are you're either missing a loving relationship 
or something is off with you or that relationship. And so just by getting, beginning to answer some of these questions, you can begin to take a next step. Are you lonely? Maybe follow up with, why do you think you're lonely? And begin to follow that thought prayerfully, asking the Lord, God, show me why I'm lonely. Show me what's missing. Number two, what is one type of loving relationship you know you need in your life? Now, this question might be, look, I have that relationship, and because of that, that's helping me flourish. But there also might be the reality that as you think about some of the kinds of relationships that you need in your life, you're recognizing, I'm missing that person. Some of you might be missing a friend. And you're like, the thing that's keeping me from flourishing right now is I need more friendship. You have to begin to identify that before you can take a next step. Number three, how can you strengthen the loving relationships that you do have? Let me encourage you, in this moment, if you're married, this might be a really great question to ask your spouse. Like, hey, how can we strengthen this marriage to make it better so that we're both flourishing and our marriage is flourishing if you have friends how can i be a better friend parents this is a great question to ask your kids doesn't matter what age they are how can i how can i strengthen our relationship how can i be a better dad how can i be a better mom and that will help you take whatever that next step is to grow in that relationship. Lastly, Pastor Brick shared this, and I, I want you to get this. this. This vision for flourishing is not just about you. It's not just about me. It's not just about our church. God wants us to flourish and then as the people of God, extend that flourishing into our community. So as you think about loving relationships, who in your life needs a loving relationship? There might be somebody immediately that comes to your mind where you're like, I know that they're lonely. I know that they're isolated. I know that they're alienated. I know that they need somebody. There might be somebody that doesn't come to your mind, but in the midst of being out at work with your neighbors, in your community, you come across somebody that you know needs a loving relationship. I'm just asking you to consider that perhaps, that maybe, God has brought them into your path to help be that loving relationship. And maybe what you need to do is step out and simply ask yourself, how can I help be that loving relationship to them? God has created us to be in loving relationship. It was a part of his plan. It was a part of his intention. It was his desire all along. Each and every one of us needs loving relationships. You cannot, you will not flourish 
by yourself. Pursue those relationships. Be that relationship for somebody else so that we can flourish. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, Father, for your design, for your plan. Father, that you created us for loving relationships. You created us for companionship. You created us to collaborate. God, you created us to complement one another. Yes, in marriage, but God, in, in every other relationship, in friendship, in parenting, in the workplace. And so, Father, we pray, God, that as we reflect today, as we reflect throughout this week on, on some of these questions, God, that we would take the steps we need to take to be able to say we're flourishing because we have loving relationships. God, for those of us who recognize that some of our relationships are broken, God, may we turn to your son, Jesus. Maybe to find the healing that we need to recognize that maybe we're the problem. Maybe the relationship is partially broken because of us and we need the forgiveness of Jesus and the peace of Jesus in our own lives, but God, maybe also we're praying for that other person. That your son Jesus would change them and God, that Jesus would change that relationship. Father, however you need to move this week, Father, we pray that you would do a work in us to experience you in a new way and for our relationships to be changed and transformed. We thank you for loving us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.